So Trump made fun of Meryl Streep because Meryl Streep gave a speech at the Golden Globes yesterday that was like, Trump's a mean person. And Trump was like, this is outrageous. Overrated. Meryl Streep is the worst actress to ever live. But so the AP, the AP did a fact check on is Meryl Streep overrated? <laughs> and, How do you fact check that? And they, well, they pointed, they were like, Meryl Streep is one of many prestigious awards, including like the most Academy Awards of any woman ever. And they were like, Trump did win a Razzie though for a movie <laughs> with Bo Derek called Ghosts Can't Do It, where Bo <laughs> Derek's husband dies and then possesses her body to get her to negotiate a deal with Donald Trump. That is the plot of the movie. <laughs> and he won a Razzie for it. The Razzies are like the opposite of the Oscars where they award like the worst movies, the worst performances in movies. I mean, I think they gave okay. Adam Sandler like a Lifetime Achievement Award for all the bad movies he made. I've never wanted to see a movie more than I want to see Ghosts Can't Do It right now. <laughs> now I would suggest you put away your knives. You haven't got one sharp enough to carve up a Scott. The great Scott lives on in me. And believe me, the city will be reduced to dust before you will best me. But be assured, Mrs. Scott, that in this room there are knives sharp enough to cut you to the bone. And hearts cold enough to eat yours as hors d'oeuvres. You're too pretty to be bad. You noticed. You've got it, money. <laughs> did I win? I did, didn't I? You were good. I read your book. And I won. I did. I beat you. You were very good. You played the situation perfectly. So I beat the situation, but not you. That's what you did. I think you like to make mischief. You noticed that too. Listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast, uh, broadcasting on January 9th, 2017, from three different states with your hosts. I'm Chuck. I drove 600 miles, 607 miles to record this episode, and all I've got is this lousy t shirt. And I am Brendan, and I'm monitoring the homeland here in Nebraska. And I'm Matthew, and I am in Texas, and I'm seriously starting to wonder if. My relationship with Twitter is an abusive one, and if I need to call a hotline or something. Every day at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, a billionaire wakes up in a gilded penthouse and gets on Twitter to talk about how he's a victim. Meryl Streep is so mean. It's just, it's just so uncalled for. You're able to watch Golden Globes. You're able to watch Saturday Night Live. You're doing all these things, but then you were riding Obama all the time. He's out golfing. Wait, he's taking vacation with his family? What the hell? You're engaging Arnold Schwarzenegger over ratings on a television show that you shouldn't even be caring about right now because you should be ready to be It's anyone who goes after him has to, you know, get that back as much as he can give it. He has the literally the biggest platform in the world at this point. Instead of saying like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's TV show that I am the executive producer on didn't get great ratings, like, what can I do to help this situation? No, instead he's like, F that guy. Right. I always hated Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's the worst person ever. Instead of being like, oh, I thought it was really great. You guys should all watch it. 
Right. Like, like how hard is that, that to do? It's also been amazing watching, um, you know, because there, there was a time when there was a, a decently vocal contingent of Republicans saying, we need to amend the Constitution so that Arnold Schwarzenegger can run for president. You know, after he was governor of California, and right. now that right. same group of people hates him because Donald Trump said he's not doing well on The Apprentice. Also, but really, it goes back to that video that Arnold Schwarzenegger released during the campaign about climate change and climate change denialism. You know, oh. this is this is all just retribution for that. Yeah, right. I mean, also one time the Republican nominee for president said that Russia was the America's greatest geopolitical enemy. <laughs> So, you know, things right. change real fast nowadays. Yeah, yeah, they really do. Yeah. And, it, you know, on that theme, too, I think it bears pointing out that Meryl Streep's speech was not a broad attack on Donald Trump as a person. It was specific to one event, the mocking of a disabled reporter. And that's objective fact and subjectively but widely considered, including by me, to be awful just a terrible thing that he did right and now he's somehow claiming like oh i never made fun of a reporter like you guys are crazy apparently now he's just subscribing to like the ann coulter theory that he wasn't making fun of his disability he was just making fun of how dumb he was (laughs) you know right he was just making fun of a quote standard retard as ann coulter says yeah by by mocking by mocking him in a way that's a pretty common schoolyard way to mock disabled people you know so it's like no i wasn't attacking this disabled guy i was attacking this guy by attacking all disabled people we've gotten the bad and the ugly how about the good i really want to hear some of those greatest hits of obama if i had told you eight years ago that america would reverse a great recession reboot our auto industry and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history. If I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11, if I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance, for another 20 million of our fellow citizens. If I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high. So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is it's nearing the end of Obama's reign as overlord of America. I didn't bring it up earlier, but I am actually in a FEMA concentration camp right now. (laughs) It's pretty good. We got we got internet. You know, and access, us conservatives so. defeated him soundly by him actually ending his term and not being able to run again. But it's victory. You know, there's a lot of people out there saying like, "Oh, Obama, worst president of all time." What did Obama accomplish? He didn't do anything. There was even the satirical hashtag thanks obama Hmm. what were some of your favorite comical thanks obama memes do you have any oh my favorite was him using it himself there's a video of him sitting there with a glass of milk and some cookies and he goes to dip his cookie in the milk and the cookie's too big to go in the glass so it just kind of like tink tink on the edge and he kind of sits back in his chair thanks obama (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that was actually from when Obama did interviews with YouTube celebrities, which I actually thought was really cool and was one of the uh, the cool things that Obama was able to do using kind of the new media. But how about those hits? Not to sound like Casey Kasem, Coast to Coast Top 40, with your request and dedication, but I want to know some of the good things that he's done. You know, sometimes I need to be reminded. Well, we're counting down the Top 40 hits of Obama's presidency right here. Casey's Coast to Coast. <laughs> Coming in at number 40, passing Obamacare, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, giving 20 million people health insurance. That was number 40? No, I, I mean, that, that was a pretty good one, I feel like. Yeah, I actually did benefit the, from that one. A lot of people did. With the Millions of people, literally. Clause. Right, and people forget that not only did Obamacare give access to health care to millions of people who had never been able to have health care before, it also prohibits insurers from denying coverage to people with pre-existing conditions and allows uh, young people to stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26. And it also bans having a lifetime health cap, which a lot of plans had before that to say, hey, if you reach this cap, you know, no matter how old you are, you know, your, your coverage is gone, you know, bans that. Which is remarkable given the, the rhetoric about what was it, death squads when they were trying death to... Death panels. Or death, death panels when they were trying to pass that. You know, it ended up being exactly the opposite. I saw something amazing on Twitter today where a woman who works in healthcare was in the lobby of whatever clinic she works at, and this elderly gentleman was really upset because he said... They said they were going to repeal Obamacare, not the Affordable Care Act. She <laughs> said she just had she just had to walk out of the room and couldn't even say anything to him at that point. People are always like, "Yeah, we should have some sort of test because people need to be able to vote." Or, you know, citizens and all this stuff. It's like, man, if you don't even know what you're voting about, like you you don't you're just going by the name of it. You know, many of many of them don't already. Uh, people who are not civically engaged or not informed on the issues already don't vote. Um, that's why I generally disfavor. Like in Australia, you're required to vote. You, I think, you pay a fine if you don't do it. Which means all of the all of those people who don't really know what they're voting on are showing up so they don't have to pay money because they didn't vote. Right. And I, I can't believe that that's good for. Uh, good governance. There was a recent state poll, I think it was in Tennessee, where they polled, like, do you approve of Obamacare? And it was, like, kind of 50-50. And then it was, like, do you approve of Obamacare, but with a different name, you know, as, like, insure Tennessee or whatever, uh, 90% of people approve of that. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting because it started out as a derogatory term, and then once it was clear that they weren't going to be able to get a, a, a handle on it, they just went with it and decided, okay, everyone's calling it Obamacare anyway. We might as well start referring to it as Obamacare. And I don't know. I guess we can armchair quarterback it and say whether or not that was a good move. But, but yeah, I mean he at one point even said, you know, I can't be mad at the name Obamacare because I do care. <laughs> And I, I want people to get health insurance. That's why I did this. Rightly or wrongly, I'm, I'm glad he owned it. And I think if Trump tries to peel, repeal Obamacare, 
there's going to be a lot of people, including people who voted for Trump, thinking he'll never take away this Obamacare. And Trump himself has said, I don't want to get rid of pre-existing conditions. I don't want to get rid of, you know, being able to keep kids on their insurance until, you know, they're 26 or whatever, or they're older. There's a lot of his own voters who rely on this stuff. What's really difficult about the uh, repeal and reform is that the part of Obamacare that everybody hates is the individual mandate. And yeah, that can be difficult for some people, people who are not making enough money or don't have employer provided health care to make that easier for them but don't make little enough money to get to qualify for the subsidy. The problem is all of the provisions that everyone likes in Obamacare don't work without the individual mandate. There's no way for insurance companies to save solvent if people can basically just hop on the plan as soon as they get sick. Because why wouldn't you do that? I mean, if there's no mandate to have health insurance, but they can't deny you for a pre-existing condition... Why not sign up for insurance as soon as you find out that you have Crohn's disease or need dialysis or something like that? You know, and also that sometimes there is a role for the government to step in to either provide a service um, so that everyone has access to it or to protect people from things that the free market is trying to do to them and uh, to shift off of Obamacare. I... I think that we have to talk about the bailout package, the stimulus package, and Wall Street reform. He took office basically at the at the nadir of the worst financial situation we've been in since the Great Depression. Right. People forget that John McCain attempted to cancel a planned scheduled debate with Obama – because the financial crisis situation was so dire that he needed to suspend his campaign, you know, to go to Capitol Hill and, and deal with it. I had forgotten about that. That's right. And people also forget that the $700 billion bank bailout was actually passed before the election even happened right. under George Bush. But somehow that just always seems to fall in Obama's lap as he gave $700 billion to banks. You know, looking back, it's hard to say, you know, was that the right thing to do? But I think it is clear that it did a lot to slow the free fall. I don't know if it is hard to say. Looking at the bailout going, okay, this isn't, this obviously isn't anybody's first choice here, but our other choices are all terrible. If we allow this first couple of dominoes to topple, no one knows where that's going to go. No one knows how far those knock-on effects are going to be. When you start to dig into it, you realize that everything has ripple effects. The global economy is so interconnected that you know, if this bank fails, well, then what does that mean? What banks did this bank lend to? You know, what outstanding debt does this bank have? Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, you know, that's going to have an effect on the, all these other banks. And then outwards from there, what banks is that bank connected to? So a bold move to spend a ridiculous amount of money to give a bunch of money to banks that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have done what they did in the first place. Mm-hmm. But by doing it, it stopped those banks from just collapsing in total and then having, you know, tr- secondary effects on the, all the other, you know, financial institutions that those banks were tied to. So I think it did, you know, stop the 
free fall of the commercial lending industry and, you know, allow the recovery, you know, to start to take hold. And a lot of people have criticisms about the recovery wasn't great enough, but a tepid recovery is better than a financial catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and some of the other money that was spent during that same period is even easier to judge. I think there are still people out there who are mad at President Obama for bailing out the auto industry. But that's one of the smartest moves I think he made during his entire presidency. We we ended up investing something like $60 billion into the auto industry to keep, um, to keep GM and Chrysler, keep their lights on uh, because they were so heavily invested in what was going on with the, uh, with the financial collapse. And not even 10 years later, all of that money had been paid back with something like $10 billion in interest. And in the meantime, two, maybe 3 million jobs were saved. Two million jobs in the middle of an economic recession is a big deal. That would have had an amazing impact on our economic recovery. That Those were families who weren't jobless, who could continue to spend money on consumer products, could buy things for Christmas and help make jobs for other people. The one thing that I do remember being pissed off about with that the auto bailout was watching all those auto executives fly in on private jets to talk about how they needed more money. I mean, just the optics of it was pretty disgusting at the time. And not so much the idea, at least with the banks that got bailed out, but just the fact that they still today fail stress tests or whatever that living will thing is. And it's like, and you came out on top you know, after all that money was given to you by the taxpayers. So it's one of those things where you can never, you can never know if it was the right or wrong thing to do, but it's, did we learn a lesson from it? And it seems like the answer is no. Well, maybe, maybe the answer is no. I'm not completely sold because another thing that happened under Obama's administration was the Dodd-Frank Act, um, which did attempt to rein in some of the excesses that led to the financial collapse, you know, um, attempt banks are more. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that it was members of, I don't think it was too many members of president Obama's party who were opposed to taking that legislation further, but banks now have tighter capital requirements. There are limits on the amount that they can, play around with money that's supposed to be safe money. It's it's not a complete fix, but it certainly helped. I'll push back on that a little bit that we didn't learn any lessons. I think maybe we didn't go as far as we needed to go with that. Well, and even the fact that they're doing the stress tests and the capital requirements is a step forward. I mean, they weren't even doing mm-hmm. that part before. So, you know, maybe the problem hasn't been 100% solved, but at least we're now collecting the data to help identify the problem so that at least we're aware <laughs> of what's going on. One of the other huge deals that Obama had done during his administration is uh, the Iran deal, where in collaboration with countries like even Russia, <laughs> they were able to band together and come to a deal where. They were able to lift some sanctions on Iran 
and allow an extremely rigorous testing and evaluation period to have nuclear inspectors and things like that go in there and you know make sure that Iran is not developing nuclear weapons, but their nuclear program is able to continue um, for nuclear energy and other means. Basically preventing a war with Iran, which a lot of people on the right in the U.S. seem to want. we really de-escalating that situation in a mutually beneficial way. And, and that was the thing that, uh, that Hillary Clinton got attacked a lot for in the campaign. And a lot of it just feels like uh, jingoism. A lot of it feels like racism to me. Uh, because that deal makes a lot of sense for us and for Iran. Get back to the greatest hits. I want some hits. Some hits. Uh, how about how about some gay stuff? Huge, two huge, uh, you know, wins for the gay rights movement. Uh, Obama repealed "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" in the military, allowing gays and lesbians to serve openly in the military for the first time ever. Boom. And of course, we all remember that the Supreme Court declaring gay marriage a federal right nationwide. During his term, he also appointed Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, our first uh, Hispanic and third woman Supreme Court justice, and Elena Kagan on the Supreme Court. Uh, and those votes were necessary for Obergefell, which was the case that um, finally made it made it illegal to discriminate against gay marriage on a state basis. A lot of wins for gay rights uh, in the Obama administration. Um, not quite so sure what we'll see uh, in the upcoming administration on that front. Yeah, going to be really interesting because uh, Trump himself doesn't seem to have much interest in the issue, but certainly his vice presidential pick does, and a decent portion of his electorate as well. One of the other wins that conservatives are loath to mention is that Obama presided over the mission to kill Osama bin Laden. I was actually going to say that, but I was debating. I'm like, is that a greatest hit? I guess if you look at it through the lens of if a conservative had done it, they would have paraded it like a great hit. So yes, that counts as a great hit. Greatest hit is actually a terrible pun in this context. <laughs> yeah. As much as it would have been crazy to see them take bin Laden alive into custody... I don't think it was worth it to have Bin Laden continue to be that face of uh, of the terrorist movement. I think in a more general sense, Obama and his whole family brought a lot of class and poise to the office and to the position. Agreed. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Michelle Obama's anyway. Uh, she's yes. obviously a tremendously intelligent woman and conducted herself very well. I liked the projects that she took on mm -hmm. as first lady. Um, a lot of things having to do with uh, food and health and obesity. Um, and we had eight years of just a truly classy American family working hard, not having any kind of personal scandals or anything like that. Um, now, I, I think other people might characterize it differently. Uh, but certainly nothing in their personal lives ever was scandalous or brought shame to our country. And I think they I think Barack Obama and his whole family deserve a lot of credit for that as well. I could not agree more with that sentiment there. No scandal, no conflict of interest. It's going to be interesting to measure up 
the next few years with that with that kind of standard. So, well, well, and also just a a sense of humor about the whole thing. You know, we we mentioned before that Obama engaged with some of these YouTube personalities, uh, but. Michelle Obama appeared on an episode of NCIS. Uh, Joe Biden appeared on an episode of Parks and Recreation and obviously was having a lot of fun with that. They they brought some down-to-earth humor and kind of good-naturedness to the whole thing. And I think we're going to miss that. Uh, I think the, the early indications so far are that we are going to miss that. A few more, and we'll wrap up here. So... I mean, there's so many accomplishments. It's, it's hard to even cover them all. One of the things he did was he restored relations with Cuba. He passed the DREAM Act, protect a lot of students and uh, young undocumented immigrants brought over by their parents before uh, you know they were even old enough to understand what was going on. Passed net neutrality regulations to oh, man. Huge. keep the internet from you know, taken over by corporations to say, oh, it's free if you use our internet, but if you use someone else's internet, yeah, that costs you extra. You know, tons of regulations boosting fuel efficiency standards on cars, limiting carbon emissions from power plants, reversing Bush administration regulations that allowed uh, the CIA to torture people. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And he has also left Years and years, the longest consecutive streak of positive job growth month after month since 2010, you know, six consecutive years of job growth, cutting our usage of foreign oil imports by half. It's it's crazy to think that Trump is coming into this administration saying, like, we're going to make America great again when all of these measures of how America's doing are at record highs. It'll be great to just keep saying put up or shut up for four years and keep reminding people about these great things. So that's the job of true journalists like ourselves at the liquid flannel podcast. (laughs) So, well, that's about all we've got time for this evening. Again, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. And you can follow us individually. I am Chuck Williams at Shaggy2Trope. And I'm Brendan Williams at Brendan Williams with one L. I'm Matthew Hodges at Matt the Great with a W. Great. And you've been listening to another episode of Liquid Flannel. Thanks again. Tune in next time, and we'll see you around. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. Got up this morning, things weren't working right. I said I want to make a change. I said I want to fight. Obama walked up and said, yes, we can. I said I want to ride your nuts because I think you're the man. Now I'm big riding Obama, Obama.